0: You are listening to the East Point Church Sermon Podcast. We're a church that exists to glorify God as a gospel community that is growing in faith and reaching the world. From wherever you are listening, we hope that you are encouraged and challenged by today's sermon.
1: To the book of Mark, I want you to come with me on an adventure. And I want you to imagine that it's packed on a sidewalk. You're shoulder to shoulder with the people around you. The crowd is buzzing and the anticipation is nearly palpable because you're waiting. You're waiting. I want you to imagine that you are at the premiere of a star-studded movie in Hollywood and some very important people are about to arrive. Any moment now, a limousine will pull up, somebody will step out, and they will present themselves right In front of you. As you wait there's a man that you don't recognize and he comes out and he begins to roll a red carpet down the entire length of the sidewalk. The crowd stirs. Expectations are rising. All of the cameramen start to jockey for position because you know and they know that the red carpet is a signal. The red carpet is an indicator that someone important is about to arrive. And so the man, he he finishes unrolling the red carpet. And then with a single raised hand, he brings a hush over the entire crowd. And he begins to give instructions. He begins to prepare people for what is about to go down. And the people around you, they are just listening to every word. It is completely silent. You can hear a pin drop, not because this dude is important, but because they know what comes after this man. They know that the announcer, they know that the red carpet, you know that all of these moments are the precursor for what is about to happen. And so, with his instructions given, the announcements done, he steps aside. He clears a path, and all eyes are on the curb. As the first car pulls up, the doors open, and it's the arrival. That's how the book of Mark starts, friends. That is the anticipation. That is the expectation that begins the beginning of Mark and that we are calling the arrival. You see, last week we had a friend here, a missionary guest from overseas. His name was Andy. And Andy told us that right now, all over the globe, there is this movement of Jesus followers. There is this movement. And everywhere that the Jesus story is proclaimed, it is leaving a wake of transformation. Everywhere that the simple gospel is told, it is like, it's like leaving a blast radius of transformation. And we look at this global phenomena that's happening in Maryland and it's happening in Romania. We look at this global phenomena and we can't help but wonder, how did this happen? How is this happening? Perhaps you're not even a follower of Jesus. You're not even a part of this movement yourself, but simply as an intellectual, you can't help but wonder, how did this happen? You can't help but marvel as to the influence of this man named Jesus. And so for the next few weeks, we're going to go back to the beginning. We are going to the book of Mark, part one, where it all started. And as we go back to the beginning, we're going to see that it all began when God himself started to roll out the red carpet. And God, got everybody's attention, And he prepared the place, and he said the one who is about to walk down this red carpet is the most important figure in human history. And that's how the story begins. And so we're going to begin here, chapter 1, verse 1. Let's read the first eight verses together, and then we'll break it down. Here's how the story begins. The beginning of the gospel of Jesus Christ, the Son of God. As it is written in Isaiah the prophet, Now John was clothed with camel's hair, and wore a leather belt around his waist, and ate locusts and wild honey. And he preached, saying, After me comes he who is mightier than I, the strap of whose sandals I am not worthy to stoop down and untie. I have baptized you with water, but he will baptize you with the Holy Spirit. This is God's word for our church this morning. Let's pray. Father, as we open this book, we pray that you would open our hearts, open our minds, open our eyes to see and to savor the main character. Pray, Lord, that you would change us, that our time spent this morning would be resulting in transformation, that we would leave here differently than when we came in. So here we are, God. We surrender, speak to us, show us beautiful and wondrous insights from your word, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, so here's how we do it here at East Point. If you're new, basically, we're going to go back to the beginning. Let's just break it down. Let's read a few verses, and let's see what it says. Does that sound good? There's something in here that's relevant for you guys, and you have to see this. So let's begin. Back to the top. He says, the beginning of the gospel of Jesus Christ, the Son of God. As it is written in Isaiah the prophet, Behold, I send my messenger before your face who will prepare your way. The voice of one crying in the wilderness, prepare the way of the Lord. Make his paths straight. Mark is going to make three crystal clear points this morning. Three things that he wants you to know as he begins his story. And the first of those three things is this. The arrival of the Son of God was the long-awaited plan of God. The arrival of the Son of God was the long-awaited plan of God. This was the plan all along. And so here we are. This story that he's about to tell is all about Jesus Christ. This is the beginning. This is how it all got started. You see, when Mark was writing this story, they were experiencing something very similar to what we're experiencing today. There was a global phenomena. This movement of Jesus' followers was spreading all over the globe in his day, and it eventually it made itself all the way to the capital of the world, Rome. And so here they are in Rome, and the whole world is hearing about it. The whole world is noticing the spreading and growing movement. Friends, the world's noticed so much so that when Nero, the emperor, decided to light his whole city on fire, you may have heard of the burning of Rome, he found an easy scapegoat in the Christians. And so he blamed the Christians, right? Talk about fake news. He gets up there on Rome.com and he says, it's the Christians, the followers of Jesus, this crazy cult, they have lit fire to our city. Let's destroy them. And he turns the entire narrative of the city against these followers of Jesus. And so he begins to go crazy. Literally, he lines up, he collects all of the followers of Jesus and he goes, one, two, three, one, two, three, one, two, three. No, they're not playing dodgeball, friends. He says, all the number ones come with me. And he takes them and he dips them into tar. And he impales them and crucifies them. And he lines up his gardens and he sets them to fire as human torches. All the twos come with me. And he takes them and he puts them into a coliseum. And they are slaughtered by gladiators. All the threes come with me. He takes them and he clothes them in the the skins of wild animals. And he sets them loose in a coliseum. And then they release wild animals. To eat them alive. Welcome to Rome. Would you like to state your religion on your passport? No way. These people, they're scared for their lives, and so they begin to meet underground, literally in the catacombs, okay? They're meeting in tombs for fear of their lives. This is the state of the Jesus follower movement in Rome. And so there's a dude who's in Rome at the same time, and his name is John Mark. He usually just goes by Mark, that's the name his mom gave him, John Mark, but he likes to just go by Mark, and we've heard about him in the Bible, because he actually accompanied the Apostle Paul on his first missionary journey. And you may remember, Bible readers, he got fired. Paul fired him and said, I don't think you have the temperament, I don't think you're cut out for this church planting thing, so go home, Mark. Mark goes home, he's discouraged, he's wondering even about the call of God on his life, but Barnabas comes alongside of him and says, hey, we're all different. Just because you're not like Paul doesn't mean you're not cut out for this. And he takes him and encourages him. He reintroduces him into the ministry. Eventually, he teams up with Peter. He becomes the apostle Peter's assistant and his translator. And he begins to follow Peter all over the world. And eventually, he goes to Rome with Peter. And so here, Mark and Peter, they're in Rome. And in response to the brutality of Nero in response to the suffering of Christians, Mark begins to write an account. He begins to write a story from the eyewitness personal experiences of Peter himself. And he goes, Peter, tell me everything. And as Peter tells him, he starts to write it. And he writes it to encourage. He writes it with these suffering believers in mind. And he says, hey, I want you to remember the power and the identity of the one for whom you're being slaughtered. Rome is powerful. Rome is scary. You're being crucified. But I want you, in these moments of suffering, to remember the power of the one who was crucified for you. And in these moments of doubt, as you're behind your cell, getting ready to go to the lions, remember the power of Jesus. And remember, the one that you're serving is so much more powerful than the power of Rome. And so Mark, he's saying, I know this is brutal. I know, suffering Christians, that this is not an ideal time to be a follower of Jesus. But don't forget who Jesus is. And so he writes the story, and we call this the Gospel According to Mark. And so as Mark sets out to write this story, you have to understand something, friends, OK? My modern readers, this is not a biography, OK? We don't see the birth story. This does not begin on day one. This is not a biography, it's a portrait. It's as if Pete, it's as if Mark, he's not writing with a pen. It's as if he's writing with a paintbrush. And he's going to be painting a vivid picture of who Jesus is. And so, you know, in the other gospels, we hear a lot from Jesus. And we see these long speeches. And Mark says, no, 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 I want you to see him in action. So we don't have the Sermon on the Mount. Instead, we see Jesus confronting powers and demons and healings and the authorities. And we're going to hear words like, and immediately, and vividly, and now, and then, and then, without no, boom. And it's almost like this you're, you're thrust into this fast-paced, action-oriented portrait. Because Mark is saying, I don't want to just tell you about Jesus. I want to show you his power. And so as he sets out in this reminder, there is a single question that he is trying to answer. And we're going to come back to this often. There's a single question that he is trying to answer in this reminder. And the question is, who is Jesus? Who is Jesus? As these people are sitting there, getting ready to lose their lives. As people are sitting here in Eastern Maryland, wondering the same thing. Who is Jesus? Who is this guy? And so to answer that question, Mark says, let me tell you, he says, we must go back the beginning. Let's go back to the beginning. Let's take it from the top, all right? And so where is the beginning of the Jesus story? Where does the beginning start? Does it start with his birth? Does it start with his first miracle when he busts onto the scene? Where should we start the Jesus story? And Mark says, guys, that's not even a question. Look where the beginning is. Look where this thing starts. It starts as it is written. The story Begins with some quotations from the Hebrew Bible. Now guys, remember, they're not Jews. These are Romans. They didn't grow up with the Hebrew Bible. And yet Mark cannot help but start with the Jewish scriptures. Because whatever your background, whether you're a Jew or not, you cannot understand what is about to go down. Unless you see it as rooted in and culminating in something that God began long ago in ancient Israel the arrival of God, his intervention, his plan to bring peace and justice and salvation to a broken world. What is about to go down was promised long ago. And so, if we're going to understand this, we have to start at the beginning, as it is written. And so he begins with this combo of Old Testament references. And we see Isaiah chapter 40. Listen to this. See if it sounds familiar. A voice cries in the wilderness, prepare the way of the Lord. Make straight in the desert a highway for our God. Every valley shall be lifted up and every mountain and hill be made low. The uneven ground shall become level and the rough places a plain. And the glory of the Lord shall be revealed and all flesh shall see it together. For the mouth of the Lord has spoken. Isaiah's message is this. Get ready. Get ready. Because God has promised to come onto the scene himself. That's why it's called gospel. That's why we call this good news. This is the good news that God is going to break into our situation. This is the good news that Yahweh is coming to his people and his glory will be revealed and the entire earth will see it. He's coming. But first, he is going to send a messenger before him. Before he comes, he's going to send someone ahead to prepare the way of the Lord. This is why Mark also includes Malachi in this little combo reference. Check this one out. Behold, I send my messenger, and he will prepare the way before me. And the Lord whom you seek will suddenly come to his temple. And the messenger of the covenant in whom you delight, behold, he is coming, says the Lord of hosts. Behold, I will send you Elijah the prophet before the great and awesome day of the Lord comes. Malachi says, hey, you're going to see God's glory. We are going to see my face, God says. You're going to see my face. But before you see my face, before you see my glory, you will first see my messenger. Okay? He says, I am going to send a dude ahead of me who is almost like Elijah the prophet. And he's going to prepare the way. You see, I take a lot of meetings in my office, right, like I'm sure many of you do, and uh, my assistant, my wonderful assistant, whenever I'm about to have a meeting, do you know what she does? She goes into that space and she prepares the way, all right? I mean, I'm fairly organized, but there's some days where the tornado just comes out of nowhere, you know what I'm saying? And the tornado just, I'm like, man, that stinking tornado got my office again, and so she comes in and she cleans the board and she makes straight the chairs and she prepares the place, She also prepares the people, right? She'll send out the agenda. She'll ask pertinent questions. She makes sure that everybody is ready to be there on time. She prepares the way so that when I come in, I can do what I'm about to do, okay? Well, God, you're like, leading a meeting is not that exciting, Sam. I'm like, I know, but that's what I do, all right? So God is showing up here, but he's going to do more than lead a meeting. God is about to arrive, and he's going to do way more than conduct a meeting. He is about to break into human history to bring salvation to the world. He's about to step down and culminate the long-ago, long-planned rescue mission. As he steps in for the brokenness of our world, God is coming. But first, the people need to be readied. Just like my office, the space of people's hearts must first be prepared. And so God's arrival is going to be preceded by a messenger who is likened to Elijah the prophet. He's going to be preceded by a messenger who will come and prepare the way of the Lord. And so when you see the messenger, get ready. When you see the messenger, realize... God is not far behind. When you see the messenger, we need to listen to him. We need to get ready because that messenger has come to prepare for God's arrival. So we better mind the messenger, right? Guys, can we just pause here for a second? I know we're only a few verses into our journey. But already we are seeing a portrait of God. We are seeing who he is and what he's like in such a light that calls us to, answer, to ask the question, what kind of God is this? Like, time out, time out, time out. God himself has been speaking for centuries that he's going to come? What kind of God is this? It means he's not a far-off God. It means that his very nature is to connect with, and to relate with his creation. From the earliest days of Scripture, we see God portrayed not as the God who made humanity and was like, all right, cool, call me if you need me, I'll be over here hanging out with the angels, right? No, where is God in the earliest chapters of Scripture? He's in the garden. He's walking with humanity. He created us to relate with him so that we could know him and enjoy him. And then when we messed up this relationship by saying, God, I think I'm actually a better God than you, we see his desire to relate is now joined by a desire to reconcile. And we see that not only does he relate to us, he seeks to restore and to redeem and to reconcile us into relationship with him. What kind of God is this? Does this sound like the God that we see portrayed by our culture Does that sound like the God that's portrayed in the movies? What is God? Well, you know, God is far away. He's distant. He's kind of like that aloof grandpa. He has all the power in the universe. Maybe, sure, but he's so unapproachable and cold, and he doesn't care. Maybe there's many of us in this room who feel like those in the catacombs, right, where we go, well, if God is all-powerful, then tell me this. Is he blind, or does he just not care? What kind of God is this? And so Mark reminds the people in the catacombs, Mark reminds people like you and me who are conflicted about the nature of God. He says, hey, 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 don't forget, as it is written, comfort, comfort my people. He is coming, and he is going to fix this. That's who this God is. And so that's why the Jesus story, it starts here. Because this morning, friends, we're going to see the messenger. I said, this morning, friends, we are going to meet the messenger. And you know what that means, don't you? As it is written, the promised messenger is the first domino. When you see the messenger, get your antenna up because this is the signal. This is the precursor of the arrival of God himself. And so are you ready to meet the messenger? Do you want to see the messenger? Ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, where's the messenger? Next verse. John appeared baptizing in the wilderness and proclaiming a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins. And all the country of Judea and all Jerusalem were going out to him and were being baptized by him in the river Jordan, confessing their sins. Now John was clothed with camel's hair and wore a leather belt around his waist and ate locusts and wild honey. The second thing Mark wants us to know is that the messenger Prepares the way. The messenger prepares the way. Friends, the messenger has arrived. How do we know? I mean, Mark is making it crystal clear, right? He said, As it is written, the messenger will come. Immediate next words, John appeared. Don't miss it. Mark is not leaving you going, I wonder, where's the messenger going? No, no, no. Messenger is coming. John appeared. John is this. He's the messenger. He is the forerunner. He is the one who would come, just like the prophet Elijah, to prepare the way for God. And if you still don't believe him, he drives home the point with this amazing verse in the Bible. You gotta love the Bible. Look what he says. Now, John was clothed with camel's hair and wore a leather belt. Fashion statement. (laughs) Starting a new clothing line here at East Point. T-shirts, that's so 2020, all right? We're going to have some camel hair fleeces for you in the lobby, all right? Some nice leather belts for Mother's Day. They're pink. Why is he saying this? Why is he calling out his style? No, it's not a description of his style. See, if I were to show you some outfits today, okay, in 2022, if I were to show you some outfits, I bet you that you can tell me the profession of the person wearing this outfit, Let's just let's experiment, okay? What does this person do? A nurse, yeah, a medical professional, right? Because her occupation is revealed by her outfit. How about these people? What do they do? I know, they could be some village people, I get it. But let's just say for the sake of this sermon, they are not members of a band. They are construction workers, all right? What do you think these people do for, for a living? No, the answer is losing, Okay. Oh, man. Boom. Eagles fan, 10 points, all right? (laughs) Nah, these people, they do football for a living, okay? Their outfit reveals their occupation. And so if we were ancient Israelites, when Mark says, hey, he was wearing camel hair and a leather belt, we would go, oh, he's a prophet, Oh, we get it. You see, back in 2 Kings, there's this cool little short story where uh, the king, he sends some messengers away. Right? He's like, hey, I need you to go do this, this, and this. Come back and report to me, right? The next day, they come back. And he's like, how'd it go? They're like, nah, 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 we didn't do it. What do you mean? I, I'm the king. I sent you. He goes, yeah, I know. But there was some random dude that showed up, and he said, don't even worry about it. God says no, and so go back to the king. And he's like, excuse me? Who was this guy? And they go, I have no idea. He goes, describe him to me. So look at, look at uh, 2 Kings 1.8. What kind of man was he who came to meet you and told you these things? And they answered him, he wore a garment of hair with a belt of leather about his waist. And the king said, ah, it is Elijah, the Tishbite. He goes, never mind. That was Elijah. And so what Mark is trying to say, he says, hey, the man who has showed up dressed like Elijah is the messenger who was promised to come just like Elijah. Do you get what he's saying? And so this man shows up. He's the messenger. He's the one who was sent to prepare the way for God's arrival. And so how does he prepare the way? How does he get things ready? Well, it says it here that he introduces a baptism of repentance. What is John usually called in our vernacular? He is John the the Baptist. Because he's leading a movement where people are coming out of the city to see him. And in the wilderness, he is dipping them. He is submerging them in the river. He's baptizing people. So let me be very clear here, okay? This is not a baptism like me and you do, right? A baptism that symbolizes your entry into the faith family. No, no, no. That's not what this is. This was not a statement to say, I'm joining the family of God. No, friends, they were already in the family of God. Look, he's baptizing people from Judea and Jerusalem. He's baptizing Jews, which is already wild because he says, you're already in the family, and yet we're going to do this. See, these, these baptisms were symbolic demonstrations of repentance, These were visual statements that they were turning and changing direction from sin. And so John the Baptist, he's out there, and he is calling people to repent, to pivot, and to stop living for themselves, and to surrender and bring the totality of their lives under the influence of God. And so these people would come out every day, and they're partaking in this movement. It's like a rally, right? It's like an evangelistic revival meeting, and they're participating. They come out, and they listen to him preach a sermon. And then they get in line and they say, Yes, I want to turn. Yes, I need to be ready to meet God. I know that I'm trying to be my own God. And so, yes, John, I'm making a statement. I will turn. And he dunked them. And they'd come out again next day. And he just kept dying. Every day, every day, there was this movement. I need to turn from my sins, John. You're right. I need to stop ignoring God. I surrender. I need to orient my life around him and not around my own desires. Do you see what John is doing? He's preparing the way. He is priming the pump. He is calling them to confession and repentance so that when the one who comes after him shows up, God will find a people in a posture of contrition. He will find a people with hearts of humility and a readiness to follow him. John is getting them in a position to receive the grace, to receive the forgiveness of sins that is about to show up with God. God is coming to forgive you your sins. Assume the position. Assume the posture. Humble repentance and transparency. Friends, I'm sorry to disappoint you. I know I'm not wearing camel hair this morning, though my belt is leather, okay? A lot of things have changed in the last 2,000 years, but here's one thing that hasn't. It's the message of the messenger. Friends, I'm here this morning very simply to call you to assume a posture of contrition. Confess to God. You pivot. You turn with your life. I'm here to tell you that you don't need to hide your sin. Oh, no, I'm good. I'm good. You don't need to hide your sin. You don't need to minimize your shortcomings. You don't have to self-justify. Well, you just don't understand. Let me explain. Listen, the message is simple. Come clean because he wants to make you clean. It's come clean. Come in humble transparency. Say to God, yeah, God, you're right. I've messed up but I want to change direction. And you can come with that level of transparency to God because the good news that John tells us is this. God's heart, his motivation, his desire, is to give grace to those who know they need it. Like, I'm I'm not good enough to see God. I, I can't go to see him. No, no, that's exactly the kind of person that God wants to see. It's those who come and say, God, you're right. I confess with my mouth. I believe I'm pivoting with my life. I'm not good enough. You really love me anyway? And he says, yes. You see, John was priming the pump. He was telling people like you and me that God is coming not to scold the humble, but to welcome and give grace to the humble. Friends, come to him. Receive his grace and forgiveness. This is what I'm preaching about this morning. My question to you is what is the posture of your heart? Have you assumed the position? Brother, sister, are you in the only possible posture that is needed to receive the grace of God? Do you have the humble recognition that you need His grace because you just don't have it on your own? I'll tell you, I do. I know for a fact that I have no moral riches in my moral bank account. I am not righteous, I'm not good enough to be in God's family. Well, you know, I kind of got a lot going for me. I have nothing going for me when it comes to being good enough to be in God's family. But you have a microphone. (laughs) I am spiritually bankrupt. And I don't care who knows it. I don't care to admit it. I don't care to come clean because I serve a God who came to make me clean. What is the posture of your heart? I'm here this morning to persuade you, friends. Full disclosure, I'm here to call you to confess honestly to God, to turn from doing this life thing your own way, because the, one, because the one to whom you come clean wants to make you clean. He comes to forgive. He has come to make you cleaner than any body of water can. I want you to know this Jesus guy who came and he took your sin and shame, he put it on his own shoulders, and then he clothes you in righteousness. He decks you out in dignity. He calls you his beloved sons and daughters. Turn to him. Not me, I'm the messenger. Turn to him and experience his forgiveness because his grace is free. What's the posture of your heart? You see, that was the message of John the Baptist. And as he proclaims that message, the movement is growing. More and more people are coming out to these services. More and more people are getting baptized. And as the movement grows, John stands up and he hushes the crowd and he makes it very clear. He says, I am not the main event. I am not the one whose arrival you've been waiting for. I'm just the messenger. I'm laying down the red carpet I'm not the one who's going to walk down it. And so he says, ladies and gentlemen, with the red carpet rolled out, get ready for what comes next, our final movement. And he preached, saying, after me comes he who is mightier than I, the strap of whose sandals I am not worthy to stoop down and untie. I have baptized you with water, but he will baptize you with the Holy Spirit. Final point this morning, the one who comes will eclipse The might of the messenger. The one who is to come will eclipse the might of the messenger. How many of you have an org chart at your job? Right? You're like, there's the org chart. Who reports to who? Who's a superior? Who's a subordinate? Right? An org chart, it helps us put things in order. Right? We know the chain of command. We know how to cascade communication. We have an org chart. We're familiar with that. Well, John the Baptist, he's here, and he's like, hey, let me make the org chart completely clear. He says, After me comes he who is mightier than I. So someone is about to come on the scene, namely God, and for all of his followers, like, John, can you just be clear here? Like, are you guys, like, equals? Do you share responsibility? Like, are you going to preach on some days and then him? And he says, No, 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 no. Far above me. Okay? He is so much higher. He is so much more important. He is so infinitely greater than me that I'm like a few rows below even being qualified to undo the strap of his dirty thong sandal. Like, let's not, let's be clear. The might of him is so much more than my might. The one that I am preparing the way for, we are not equals because he's going to be a greater Baptist. Man, you thought John the Baptist was cool? He says, no, 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 listen. I've been baptizing you in water, right? Where are my bay people at? There's some brackish water over there, right? And he is baptizing them in this brackish river. He is submerging them. He is dunking them. He is enveloping them in the water. And he says, no, 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 no. The one who comes after me, he's going to submerge you, he's going to envelop you, he is going to dunk you, not in water, in the Holy Spirit. These are symbolic washings, but the one who comes after me, he is going to cleanse you from the inside out as he washes your soul. John the Baptist has nothing on the Baptist who is about to arrive. Friends, I love this picture because this is what he still does. Do you understand this? When we come to God in faith, right, when we dare to believe that he really will greet our humility and confession and faith with forgiveness and adoption, when we come to the Lord, he baptizes us in the Holy Spirit. Look what it says, 1 Corinthians 12, 13. Paul says, for in one spirit we were all baptized into one body. Let's read it one more time. For in one spirit we were all baptized into one body. The baptism of the Holy Spirit, as it's described in Scripture, this is not a second work that only happens to a few sometime down the road of salvation. When, when, when Jesus is talking about the baptism of the Holy Spirit, he is talking about the first thing that happens to all believers. You are baptized in the Holy Spirit. That is God's immediate response to your faith. You put your faith in God, and God submerges you into his spirit, signaling that you are now a part of his family. You put your faith in God, and God envelops you in his spirit. He makes his Holy Spirit to indwell inside of you. And the same spirit that dwells in you is the same spirit that dwells in me is the same spirit that dwells in you. We all have been baptized into the same spirit because it is a symbol, it is a a significant reminder We have the same spirit, which means we're in the same family. If you have the spirit, you're in the same family because there's only one spirit. There's only one family. There's only one church. And so John is clear. He says the one who comes will eclipse the might of the messenger. You thought the messenger pricked your heart, huh? Well, the one after me will transform your heart. You thought the Baptist helped clear your conscience. Well, the one after him will clean your soul. You thought the baptism in water was a powerful demonstration of your new direction in life. But the one after him will baptize you in the Holy Spirit, a demonstration that he has changed your identity and your eternity. You thought it was meaningful to belong to the followers of John. You are about to experience what it means to belong to the family of God. The one who comes will eclipse the might of the messenger. And so we've met the messenger. We've seen him roll out the red carpet. He has prepared the way for the one who is about to come. God himself. And so where is he? Where is it? Has it pulled up to the curb yet? Ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, is he about to arrive? Here he is. He is about to arrive, and we see him next week. We'll see him next week. Because before we see God arrive, before he steps out of the car and steps into the spotlight of human history, we need to do first things first. We need to mind the messenger. Before we meet God, We must pay attention, take heed, and listen to the message of the messenger because he was sent to prepare the way, to ready our hearts. God is about to pull up, friends, and so how do we make sure that we're ready for him? What is the appropriate posture to meet God? Well, mind the messenger, and he'll tell you. We confess our sins. Hands up, we repent, and we go, yep, you're right, I can't do this on my own. And we come clean to the one who wants to make us clean. We turn and we pivot, leaving our old ways behind, leaving our, own, our old ways of doing things behind, because the one who is coming, God himself, he is coming and he has baskets full of grace and forgiveness and he will baptize us in the spirit as he brings us into his family. God is coming. Are you ready? Have you assumed the posture? Have you confessed what everybody around you already knows, that you're not perfect? And do you dare to believe that God really will meet you with grace and forgiveness? Do you dare to believe that if God truly knew everything that you've done and everything that you are, if God truly knew the darkest corners of your life, do you really believe that he would still invite you into his family? I do, I do. And if you dare to believe that, friends, he greets you and he smiles. When we come clean, his face, just imagine his face. When we come clean, he doesn't go, yeah, I told you so. He goes, I know, and I still love you. Come, come, and he baptizes us in the Holy Spirit. He brings us into his family, and he gives us a new heart and he gives us a new record, and he gives us a new family, and he gives us a new purpose, and he gives us a new eternal destination. Just because we dare to believe. Just because we take him him at his word, and we put our faith in him. And so friends, I want to pray for you. As I call you, come to the one who wants to make you clean. I'm going to pray for you. And I just wonder if there's anybody here and you say, hey, Sam, can you just include me in that prayer? I need a pivot in my life. And I just want you to pray for me. I need to pivot and I need to come clean before the Lord. If you're saying, Sam, pray for me, just wave at me and I'll pray for you. Yes, I will pray for you. Absolutely. Yep, I'll include you in that prayer. Anyone else? Sam, pray for me. I need to pivot and I need to experience the grace of God. Yes, I will pray for you. Yeah. Yeah, anyone else? Yes, I will pray for you. Absolutely. Man, he greets us. I'm telling you, when you assume this posture, he greets us with grace. Anyone else? Sam, pray for me because I need, I need to come clean to the one who will make me clean. Yes, I will pray for you as well. Let's pray, Father. Here we are before you, Lord, and we dare to believe, God. We listen to the message of this messenger who says, "Prepare the way, because he is coming for the forgiveness of sins." And we say, "God, that sounds good. I'll have that. We need it, Lord. We need you, Father." Because we're not enough. You've created us to know you. you created us to relate with you, to be in relationship. And Lord, we've broken it. And So would you restore? Would you reconcile? Would you create faith in our hearts, Lord, and help us to assume this posture of surrender? I pray for my friends, Lord, who are here and just waving at me saying, please, I need this. Bless them. Give them clarity. Bring people around them who can continue to unpack the significance of the gospel. As they read the Bible, make it come clear to them, Lord. As they take their next steps, bless them, I pray. We love you, Father. We thank you for this word. And we look forward to next week in Jesus' name. And the church said, amen. Let's stand and respond.
0: We want to thank you again for joining us for this week's sermon podcast. My name is Daniel, and I'm the music and creative pastor here at East Point Church. And if you were challenged, encouraged, or impacted in any way by this week's sermon, we would love to hear about it. It's your stories that encourage us and what we do, and we just want to celebrate what God is doing in your life. So you can go ahead and share with us at podcast at epeaston.com. Also, make sure that you subscribe to our channel to stay up to date with the latest sermons. Have a great week.